0: Employee experience is a priority because it drives retention, engagement, and ultimately business growth. Yet turnover keeps rising because traditional approaches to improving experience are too narrow. SAP SuccessFactors helps you expand your strategy and redefine employee experiences from every angle. You can capture in-the-moment insights from employees across multiple interactions, then link them with operational data to see what is happening in your workforce and understand why. You can break down system barriers using intelligent technology to integrate experiences within HR and across the business. And you can proactively tackle the toughest challenges like diversity, inclusion, well-being, and more. With SAP SuccessFactors, you can deliver comprehensive, unexpectedly exceptional experiences that keep employees engaged and keep your business growing. Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca Minkoff, and you're listening to Superwomen. Today, my guest is Noor Taguri. She's an incredible journalist, activist, and all-around amazing human. Uh, She lights up a room. She makes my day better. I actually always come away from her having learned something, which is something I really, really love. So take a listen to Noor Taguri on Superwomen. I am here with Noor Taguri. Yay. Hi. We first met a long time ago but you came up to me at that screening. Yeah,
1: yeah. Wait, we did first.
0: You yeah, said we first we, met
1: a long time ago. Then I came up to you at the screening of Egg because yep. you were on the panel. And then, then I said, I'm so sorry. I couldn't, have, couldn't be in your campaign from September. I really wanted to, but I was traveling. And then you were like, do you want to be in my show? It's like, do you want to walk in my fashion show? And the last time I, the only, the first and only time I'd ever walked in a show, I was three years old. And I wore a Libyan henna outfit dress, like covered in gold, which was like the only other time I ever wore that was for my wedding. And yeah, and then I was like, okay. And I was so nervous, but you did great. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. I think it's it's fascinating though. Like I met you, then certain oh, certain then certain things happened. Certain terrible things happened, and then we had our coffee. So I oh, felt yeah. like there was just a big sudden shift from when yeah. we met, we met again.
1: Yeah. And I really appreciated that conversation. That was a very refreshing conversation. I was like, what is this world? <laughs> it is, and um. you were like, let me give it to you. Let me, <laughs> let me give let you me the unleash all
0: my personal pent of anger <laughs> on your situation. <laughs> um, you were not the only person to do that though. So that's fine. Oh my gosh. So before, cause we've just talked about a lot of things that so people are like, huh? We've come what? into a middle of yeah, a conversation yeah, yeah. Okay. Will you take me back. You were born In Southern Maryland. I was born in West Virginia. Excuse me. You were born in West Virginia. Grew up
1: in Southern Maryland.
0: Okay. Tell me what life was like. Oh, man. Conservative.
1: Very conservative. Very white. So I I was born in West Virginia, lived there for eight days. Very, a very vivid memory of this eight days. And then we moved to uh, Selma, Alabama and Birmingham, Alabama. And then my parents settled in Southern Maryland. And I, I grew up in a very small town called La Plata. It was very conservative, very white, like quiet town, kind community. And uh, we were just like, we were very different, obviously. Like, I felt very different as a kid, even with like my hair color. I walked into first grade, sat now next to the only other girl who had dark brown hair, and I asked her if she was Muslim. And you know what's funny? She looked like you. I'm not kidding. And I was like, Are you Muslim? And she was like, What? Am I what? And I never talked about like religion or faith or whatever. I mean, my parents were like, they were, they're super cool. And that my mom grew up here and my dad was like super involved. So I was just kind of like in my head about it. But when you're a kid and your family looks a little bit different, your mom wears something on her head, it's just, it, it's so stark to you. But I was naive to like the way people perceived us, I think, until now. I think we're living in a time now where. The way people feel about you is like all out in the open if you are part of a marginalized community, which I guess is good because you get everybody to like hone in and talk about it.
0: Especially right now because it's so polarizing, unfortunately. It
1: is. But it's also like the conversation that I've been having, that we've been having internally within my family, like my husband's family, who, I mean, his family is like half Catholic, Italian, Irish Catholic, and half Moroccan Muslim, so conversations we're having are just like, okay, what was in your head this whole time? Like, what did you guys think this whole time? What are the questions you were never asking? Because it's, it's been like, to me, it's like wild. I'm, I'm naturally very curious and I naturally ask people questions all the time. So it's just like, okay, like this is so normal to me to be like, if I'm curious about something, I'm just going to ask you and acknowledge my ignorance if I don't know something. Um, But a lot of people don't feel that way, especially when it comes to asking questions to people who are part of a community they're not familiar with because they don't want to offend people or because they think that they don't need to ask because they're already getting their information from somewhere else. But typically somewhere else is like an older white man telling you like about a community that he's not a part of. And therefore you take that as truth because you relate to that person more than the person that is actually a part of the community. Right. Wow, I've never said it that way, but yeah, that's. I think what it that's is. a really
0: good way of saying it, though. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like I've always known that that's the thing. Like people are always getting information from other people, but it just clicked to me. Like why? It's because that's where they that's feel more... like they can trust.
0: Correct. It's like that. It's like a uh, seeing a movie. Like, are you going to trust the newspaper or your friend who saw it?
1: Exactly. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow.
0: I think we just cracked the
1: code. I
0: think we just cracked the code on. That, My analogy was not that deep, but I'm glad it... Uh, but that's the point. Yeah. It, yeah. So you grew up wanting to be a news anchor uh-huh. and a journal. Yeah. And well, you are a journalist. I wanted to be Oprah. Okay.
1: I wanted to be
0: Oprah. You're I, on your way. Yeah. But you were told you couldn't wear a hijab, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, so nobody... Or that that you wouldn't be successful if you wore it, right? I told myself that. And the reason I told myself that was because I couldn't come up with another explanation for the lack of diversity on TV. But I didn't just tell myself that. I told myself, like, I had to look a type of way. Like, I dyed my hair blonde and wore color contacts for a, a period of time because I thought that that's what you had to look like. Right. And part of why I loved Oprah, even though she's so glorious and wonderful and is magic, like, was also because... She was the only woman of color that I saw on television. And I was like, she's like the first of so many things. Maybe I can be too. But that didn't come for a while. Like I really was set on that I had to look a type of way. And my parents like never mentioned the hijab to me because it has to be a choice. So I was very clearly not going to be wearing it because they knew I wanted to be on television. They knew like I just never felt a connection to it. And it was not something I wanted to do. So they were like, okay, whatever. And um, I found myself like really struggling with my identity and figuring out who I was and like where I was going and what was I doing it for. And I was always in awe of like my mom's strength and my grandmother's strength and my aunt and my little sister wore the hijab before I did. And I just didn't get it. And So in a time of, like, insecurity and brokenness, I eventually impulsively put it on. And this was after we moved outside of that town. We moved right outside of D.C. So it was very, very, like, diverse. It was a culture shock for me. And I put it on, and nobody really reacted. Everybody was like, oh, that's cool. Like, great. You seem like you're finding yourself. But um, I don't think, one, nobody thought I was going to keep it on. And, two, it's so personal. It's so funny how something so in, in your face is so personal so it's like everybody has these opinions about it but it's just like nobody even knows why you personally wear it right so i did and shortly after i put it on i got offered a job at a newspaper and i for me that was like a sign that i could do i could do it mm-hmm. i was like i can still do this if i got this job i can still do it and i yeah i just went forward and it gave me a sense of strength of strength and like meaning and understanding of of living for something bigger than yourself and i think for me personally You know, if you get to a point where you're trying to figure out who you are and why, like, what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing, taking that step of, like, putting an identity on or embracing an aspect of authenticity for yourself is not easy. And so people will say, like, I don't think I'm ready for it or I I just, like, need some time or I need to reach X, Y, Z goal. And I realize I don't think you're ever ready to put yourself on. So you just do it. And it takes so much courage to do it and you do it and then the world opens up.
0: What made you want to pursue this as a medium? Is it your fascination of storytelling? Is it people? Is it oh. the research? Like what made you go, okay, this is what, I, aside from Oprah, who I, yeah, I, would, I would want to do anything that Oprah Yeah, a hundred
1: percent. I didn't even know the term journalism. I just knew I loved Telling stories and asking questions. I would read like two, three books a day. Like in the summer, you could not catch me doing anything except for reading a book. And I I just got lost. I think it was the escapism. It was going to another world. It was understanding and learning from other people. One of my really good friends told me the other day, she was like, you're really lucky that you take life lessons from other people's life experiences. Like you take their life stories as your own so that you can learn from them. And I think that's the power of storytelling and stories. And there was a time where I was with my grandmother and she was at a mosaic class for like senior citizens and she was making these mosaics. And I took it upon myself to ask everybody questions and interview everyone. I think I was like maybe 11, 10 or 11 at the time. And like, I always gravitated towards the older people in the room anyway, so that I could learn from them. And I felt like the sense of pride from like getting all of their stories. And at the end of it, this this man stood up and in front of everybody. He was a world war II vet. And he said, you know, we started this class three months ago and didn't know more than each other's names. And now we all know each other's life stories. And I remember feeling like this sense of pride and being like, maybe this is my thing. And my teachers and my professors and my mentors, all of them were like, you ask really good questions. You ask really good questions. And my dad and like my parents both saw it, they tapped into it and they like put, would put me in camps. And my dad would try to like you know, explain the news to me and take me to meet journalists and stuff. So it was really just tapping into a kid's curiosity and then being surrounded by people who were like feeding into the curiosity. And for that, I'm super grateful, but it was just innate. And I think like everybody is very familiar with the things that they're naturally good at and naturally love. It's just a matter of society putting pressure on you and telling you and and deterring you from things. And I wasn't having it.
0: I love it. I love that you stuck with it though, because there are so many people that they just get one bad impression and then that's it, they stop.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so crazy that you say that because I know, like I just, yesterday my sister was telling me about somebody who in journalism who was really badly burned and just left the entire field. I did an interview last week and I had never realized this, but I've always had a job in journalism, like from when I was 16, I just turned 16 years old, I think maybe I was even 15. And I'd always had a job in journalism until now And I had never worked in any other industry and I just like thought that was whatever. But last week I did an interview and the woman looked at me and was just like, that is not very millennial of you at all. And I was like, huh, I never thought about that. And yeah, everybody tries different things, which is amazing. Like you should be trying different things. But for me, this was the thing that I knew. Like I was like, that was it. I mean, and I dabbled every, anything that I ever dabbled in was always related to it. Like I also speak, which is a form
0: of storytelling or... But also you interview people as well. And that's a form of, you know, like, uh, you know,
1: it's always stories. It's always stories for me.
0: So what made you want to tell the story when you had the podcast sold in America? Yeah. Oh man. Tell me how you, why that subject, how it happened. So I always
1: say that my formula for finding your purpose or your passion is combining your skill sets and your talents with the causes that pain you the most. So if mine is storytelling then the, to pair that with causes that pain me, one of the causes was sexual violence. And I had an experience, my first se- experience of sexual violence was when I was 12 years old. And I remember after that experience, years later, seeing, obviously on Oprah, Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wu Dunn talking about their book Half the Sky. And they had talked about uh, human trafficking in Asia. And I remember thinking to myself when I was hearing these stories, like, there's no physical way for me to fathom the trauma and the pain of these people. And like my scalability was the ex- experience that I had gone through. And I knew how traumatizing that was for me. So I decided that I wanted to do anything and everything I could to be a part of like alleviating that issue. And so at the time, I was reading books, I was writing papers. My first college paper I ever wrote was on the issue. When I first got a job in, television, my first reporting job. That was the first story I ever did. And I just kind of made this commitment. And actually one of the women that I interviewed in the story, I told her one day I'm going to come back because I'm going to do a documentary on this. And then I came back and I did it. Wow. And it was really rooted in that. And when I started, I thought I was doing a series on sex trafficking in America and then quickly realized that there was no way for me to do that without covering the entire spectrum of the sex trade, because it was it's always reported on, on either just trafficking or sex work and what people don't acknowledge is that the marketplace in which people are buying sex all of that exists so how do we actually understand all of it and how do we go into this story while trying to find out like the the harm that's being done within the trade and how to alleviate the harm like all together and and the laws that are being passed affect everybody on this spectrum so it was really important to make sure that we were including all of them in the story
0: it still blows my mind that that this can exist Do you know what i mean like And and that it's existing in america
1: in our back every single neighborhood every single place everywhere everywhere like people will come up to me all the time and be like yeah yeah it's really bad in like this city it's really bad in this city i'm like it's everywhere exploitation is everywhere And the sex trade is everywhere. So it's just like, you can, like, we're just not aware. And part of why we're not aware is because we're not including people from those communities in conversations. I don't know if it's like we just put our head in the sand and we think that it just only happens overseas. Like when I first started reporting, people would ask and I would say that that this is what I was reporting on. They'd be like, oh, what country? And I'd be like, America, America? (laughs) like right here at home. And it doesn't discriminate like everybody's affected by it is a part of the problem and can be a part of the solution.
0: So from meeting you the when we met or we met again, I'm I was struck by since I've met you, your incredible positivity. <laughs> Thanks about literally everything, even <laughs> even as you're talking about the sex trade and you talk about issues like that but also issues like being mistaken for the wrong person oh, at yeah. a monumental moment. How do you maintain your perspective where you are so positive and passionate, but then you have to deal with some hardcore shit?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Because I th- I think that that's a really big part of like, even just like my upbringing. Well, first and foremost, my mom was a guidance counselor. Shout out to the mama. Yeah, she was a guidance counselor. We used to have like a, a, a ball with our like with emotions written on it and you'd catch it and you talk about the emotion. Like she's very, very in tune with all of that. So, and, and honestly, like this, the level of positivity and, and, and all of that comes from her. And then from her, for even with her though, it comes from faith and understanding like that every, I mean, I believe that like everywhere where I am right now is exactly where I'm meant to be. The things that happen to me are exactly what are meant to happen. And there's always, everything is rooted in like tests, right? So it's like, if I'm being mistaken for someone completely different in Vogue magazine, and i've spent the last almost 10 years talking about misrepresentation it's not a coincidence that that happens right it's a, it's a part of your story it's a part of being able to say hey this is happening to me this isn't the first time it happened a month before at another publication under that publication house and it happened the with year with the be- same
0: person oh no
1: no no not with the same person just a- another instance of of misrepresentation that one was a little even a little much but before that, I was mistaken for, like my photos were circulating the internet for the wife of the Pulse nightclub shooter because we had the same first name. So, and and she doesn't wear hijab. And of course I do. So it's easier for people in newsrooms to be like, oh, that I guess that's the one, but whatever. So it's like, it's it's something that I'm so familiar with and I've seen directly of how like it impacts your communities and stuff. So to me, it's just like, these are examples that that set you up for your story and you choose to do what you want with them. And if you choose to use them as moments of lessons and as ways to be of service to people, then like more benefit comes out of it. I'm not I'm not really big on cancel, like, like canceling people or canceling cancel culture or whatever it is, unless somebody is directly intentionally harming other people. But if people are doing things out of ignorance and like didn't understand or didn't know or that mistake was made, then I'd rather come into your space and be like, what can we do to do better? What can we do to be better? And how can we alleviate this? but not just like, put a band-aid on it? We need to go in and discuss, like why this is happening or what what the root of this is. And oftentimes, the root of a problem like that is there's not enough people in the newsroom who are it's not a diverse newsroom or a space where others would have just known. like and there are you aren't you aren't always tokenized, right? Like if you have representation, that maybe you have in a diversity campaign and spread, and that's inclusive of of the the space that's making the decisions of choosing who you're going to put in, then there's a lot less tokenism and there's a lot more true inclusivity. And, but to go back to like the positivity around these issues, I think that every aspect, everything that you go through, no matter how dark it is. And I mean, there there are things that I've gone through in the last couple of years that have been so painful or so gutting or so whatever that like, I've stayed on a couch for days on end and and I'm like, what am I going to do next? but i didn't like take it as i don't know what i'm going to do next everything was a waste it was just like this is painful right now and it's okay for me to feel this pain everything is going to be okay but like i'm human too and i think that when you think about it in the way that you know you're going to get out of it and you know that there is a bigger light at the end of the tunnel like the the thing that happened with vogue it was so funny because cnn had reached out to me cuz they were covering the story And they had sent me a list of questions. I was on a plane when all of this was happening. They'd emailed me a list of questions and then sent me an email right after. And they were like, I'm so sorry we sent you these questions. We just saw that you did like an interview on our network on television a couple of months ago about this very issue. And I'm like, yeah, it's not like this isn't new. And that was the point. And so there is always... There's always wisdom in the way that things happen, but I don't know, I think even in the darkest of moments, like if you can find even if you, there's no light at the end of the tunnel that you see, at least acknowledging and knowing that you are in the process of becoming a much stronger person. Because I wouldn't be able to handle some things that happen now had I not gone gone through all of the pain that I had gone through. I mean, and this is an ongoing thing, like there are things that I'm going through now that I didn't expect to be here, but every single day like when you think about it like that was meant to happen. I walk out or I leave seeing like upcoming opportunities as, oh, that's why this happened. That's why this happened. That's why this happened. And if you, if you keep your mind open towards that, literally you end up lifting a block from all of the blessings that can come through.
0: I feel like people must tell you a lot. You're an old soul, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. In a good way. It's a good thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a good thing. And I, it's, But I also believe it's because I surround myself with people who are like, I always want to be the least experienced person in the room. Like I want to be around people who are so much smarter than me. I mean, Adam and I, my husband, Adam and I, we were in Italy last month and we're actually going in a couple of weeks to see the same people. And we spent time with this man who was 82 years old, but he had a neurologist tell him that he was 17 years, physically 17 years younger because he was so like in shape and just such so great. And out of everybody, like in the space, he had founded all these hotels. He had these great, this amazing story. And we just spent so much time like absorbing and learning from him and keeping in touch with him and calling him and texting him and stuff. And it was just like, when you realize the wealth of knowledge that's around you and you can tap into that just through curiosity, like People who are older than you want to share their stories and they have so much to give. And I think that the more that I, it's very red hot chili peppers, but like the more I see, the less I know, like that's where I'm at right now is I think that I just realized that I'm, I, even if people want to say that you're, I'm an expert in X, Y, and Z,
0: like, I'm just like, I have so much to learn. Totally. Yeah. So what would you tell people who are listening, what they can do better in terms of the lessons you've learned about inclusivity, about Ooh, yeah. about like just about, like you said, being honest or asking a question if you yeah. have a thought versus judging. Like what would you say to people to just start changing where they are?
1: I would say sit in the uncomfort. Like when there are moments, there should be moments of uncomfort, sit in them and let yourself feel that. Because if you have good intentions and your heart is good and you're genuinely just curious, you genuinely just want to know. Uh, then people tend to be so welcoming and want that. A lot of people, especially those who have who are parts of communities who are at the margins of our community or society, we've spent a lot of time making other people comfortable. Even just women in general. Like we spend a lot of time making people comfortable in rooms so that they don't feel threatened or they don't feel like, I don't know, less than whatever, especially in spaces of just like overwhelmingly men or Whatever the majority might be, let yourself sit in that uncomfort, and then listen with intention. Because if you're listening just to rebuttal, like the com- in the conversation, then you're wasting your time and you're wasting the other person's time. But if you listen with intention, and you're like, "How can I actually do better?" and also go into spaces and don't assume that you know what the best thing to do is. Don't assume that you know better or that, like, say you're you're in a works workplace and. You'd like it to be more diverse or you'd like it to be more representative. You're going to have to go talk to people who have done it to get advice on like how to cultivate a better workspace, how to make your workspace more representative, because if you're going to just sit alone in a room of other people who look like you, you're not going to get actual answers. And so you have to be okay with including people in the conversation and it's going to get uncomfortable, but that's totally okay because that's where you need to be. And that's where growth is and that's where learning is and, and come into spaces and and admit like that you're nervous or that you're, you might be ignorant about something because I don't, when, when that, when people say that to me and they're like, I just really don't know, I like am beaming and I want to like just hug you and hold you and be like, you know what? I appreciate you. I know how much courage that took because I think one of the most common things people say to me when it comes to, especially when it comes to like corporate conversations and diversity and inclusion in the workplace and like the conversation of like white privilege and which ends up making people so uncomfortable the one thing that they say is like I don't know how to have those conversations we get it gets really uncomfortable and we just don't know how to navigate it and everybody gets defensive and it's just like yeah but most of the people that are that need to be leading these conversations or navigating them have had to be on the defense and have had to be uncomfortable most of their lives So it's okay, like the tables are turning and it's okay because at the end of the day, you all have the same end goal. You all wanna grow, you all wanna be stronger, you all wanna do better, you wanna do good for others. And if your intentions are bad, then I can't really help you there. But like, if that's, if you come from a place of of genuine curiosity and wanting to grow in today's world and be a part of this change, then there are so many ways to do it. And if you don't wanna be a part of that change, then you're going to get left behind. Like that's. I think the, the like the way, the part of the conversation that's being left out, like I was in a corporate space recently. I was the youngest, by far the youngest person there. And I was the one of two people who um, were not like, who were people of color there. And there was like, oh, it's so weird. There was an older white guy who was like a C level executive who raised his hand and asked, I'm not going to say his name because he's very well known. Asked somebody else a question about like diversity and how do we do better? And and the answer was like about not looking at people's schools on their resume or something. And it just didn't answer the question. And then I asked a question and I was like, I mean, how are we supposed to be building these bridges when, I mean, spaces look like this? And, you know, what can we be expecting? And nobody knew the answer. And I'm like, these are incredibly in- When I say intelligent, that's an understatement. Right. Brilliant people, powerful people, very wealthy people. And they're asking questions. And I'm like, you're asking questions to the wrong people. Right. Because if you're asking these questions in a room like this, you're not going to get the answer. Right.
0: It's an echo chamber It's a complete
1: echo chamber. And so you're in a space that's constantly validating what you've already known. And it's like, you have to take the time to be in a space that's going to make you uncomfortable. Go out of your way and do it. And if you don't know where to start, then ask me or ask somebody around you because that's that's where we need to be learning and growing right now. And there's just not enough of it. And it's so common, but now, I don't know, it's constantly jarring for me because I'm just like, how are you still asking this? Like, how are you asking this in a space like this? You should be saying, who can we bring in to be talking about this? Right. It was crazy because I was sitting right there and I was like, I could
0: answer this question right now, but like, that's not the way this room is set up. And it wasn't a space for that. Well, thank God you're talking about it because hopefully it changes (laughs) or we all are trying to talk about these things and hopefully, you know.
1: Absolutely. We should be like, it should be celebrated, like difference. and, And the thing about it is, is like every aspect of our differences should be celebrated in that no one is saying, oh, we should like, oh my gosh, you're white. Like, ugh, like that's not cool or... You know, if you're a person of color and you're in a space that is predominantly white or if you're a woman in a space that's predominantly male, there's always this tension. And I'm just like, no, we should be celebrating each other for where we come from and what our differences are and wanting to be wanting to learn about each other from each other and celebrating our successes, not in spite of our differences, but because of them. Like, how do we build bridges and and, and build community because of what what makes us different? You know what? I was just watching Do you watch One Strange Rock?
0: No. I oh I want to watch things I just don't get to. No,
1: One Strange Rock <laughs> is so brilliant. So uh, Darren Aronofsky directed it, Will Smith is the host, and it's a Nat Geo uh series on the on Earth through the perspective of eight astronauts. It's so brilliant. You have to watch it with your kids. And the eight and, and there was an episode on what was it, it was on like growth or something. And they were saying how like it stemmed, like nature itself is growing because like everything is growing from diversity. So the quote from One Strange Rock, one of the astronauts was talking about how diversity is actually necessary for life in the most, like in the deepest of oceans and the most outer parts of space. It is also, it's a necessary thing. And so when we try to stifle, it just doesn't make sense because it's like our growth stems from it. Totally. It was so
0: brilliant. There's a book, and this is like real nerd stuff, but that talks about how the Native Indians here used to have their crops. It was like, but it would be beans next to corn, next to another crop, because that kept the soil healthy and vibrant, and they could just rotate the crops like that for like centuries. And then when people came in and said, "No, it's just wheat," right? That's when you see the soil. No way! Yeah, it's in the book 1492. It's pretty crazy. Or it was the see, one that- that's so that like. It's but so like wild. all these things that nature intended, like you're it, saying.
1: It's it's examples. It's right. like why we, we have examples laid out for us all over. I know. And it's like, why are we not listening to it? And it, I don't know. I think it's fear and just comfort. Ignorance. And yeah, I didn't want to say that one,
0: but yeah. So I have three more questions for you. Three. Okay. Uh, what are you working on that you're excited about?
1: A... Um, so right now I am hosting season three of the Barney's podcast, which is coming out very shortly, um, depending on when this drops. And what is it called? So people can download. It's called the Barney's
0: podcast. Perfect.
1: So I basically am taking season three and we are highlighting leaders who are on the forefront of pushing our culture forward. So everything I was just talking about, there are so many people who are doing the work. So that's basically who I'm highlighting. And then we are uh, I'm so we're like planning out the fall, winter speaking tour, and I uh, have a couple of projects stemming from Sold in America that are kind of bubbling, but but we're trying to we're 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 finalizing a really cool topic for it. So yeah, just follow along.
0: Okay, and where do we follow you so that people can?
1: Uh, my Instagram and Facebook is just at Nor N O O R. You're lucky first you got the first handle. name. Yeah, I did. I'm so happy. And my Twitter is Ntagori which is N-T-A-G-O-U-R-I. I really want the first name there, but the woman who has the first name on Twitter blocked me. Oh, damn. Because people kept Cold tagging at Noor and think, yeah. And so I was like, damn,
0: she just straight up. She got we, pissed. We could have been friends. <laughs> my, la- I ask the next two questions to every one of my guests. Yes. Uh, what would be something that we would be surprised to know about you? It can be embarrassing, shocking, mm. um, just silly, just something that, But surprised. Yeah, like, oh, I wouldn't think that she would. Oh, I can
1: tell you. I can tell you. Okay. Okay. I love cartoons.
0: Like, Like which ones? (laughs) Well,
1: Rick and Morty, Bob's, like, it's not surprising that I watch Rick and Morty, Bob's, or whatever. But, like, I have, like, a really deep love for cartoons. And it was because it was reignited because when I was filming Sold in America, like, I could not watch anything. No. Like, it was so, it's such a dark time. I literally had to schedule in my wedding. Like it was like the weekend that I wasn't shooting. And like two days before our wedding, I had like spent two days with men who were arrested for buying sex. And then like a, a couple weeks later, I'd witnessed my first heroin overdose. So that whole time was like of like a haze. So the only thing I could watch was Rick and Morty. Oh my gosh. And like one of my dreams is to do a voiceover for a cartoon. Like, I want to do that so bad. Any I'm cartoon, sure that's coming. I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's something. But like, people are like, really? And they're like, what do you wa-? like? I mean, I watch cool stuff now, but I always resort like last
0: night. What did I watch last night? I watched Rick and Morty. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's awesome. So you've said a lot of incredible advice in this episode, but I always like to leave people with like, what's your North Star of advice oh. or just one of the many North Stars you have of advice?
1: Mm. I love that. My North Star is rooted in a, a word we have in Arabic called tawakkul which is like complete and utter trust and faith in God or in whatever you believe in. And just knowing that everything that is happening is what's meant to happen. And that sense of tawakkul for me has alleviated like I... I remember the last time I said, what if, or had a, what if type thought. And what it was, was in college, I had like a guaranteed internship at CNN. It was like 99.9% guaranteed. I had like shadowed and was like talking to Soledad O'Brien at the time when she was there at the time. And I was working with somebody and whatever. And I had plenty, like I picked a place to like go to New York and everything. And I didn't get the internship. And I couldn't understand why, because I was like, it it was guaranteed. And it was while I was about to, like, graduate from college. And two days later, I got my first, my job offer for uh, being a TV reporter on local news, which had never happened before, like, for a woman in hijab. And I realized, wow, I'd much rather be reporting than, like, interning somewhere. And after that moment, I never questioned anything again. Because I, and now, and it, it, you have to be willing to see it. Like you have to be willing to have your eyes open and be like, something didn't work out. Like I had a big thing that didn't ha- work out or a fallout or whatever that I was telling you about earlier. And the moment that happened, if I, when I like thought to myself, this is meant to be, this is why like there's good that's coming from this. When you tell yourself that and you let yourself let go of the what ifs, the world opens up like possibilities, endless possibilities because you realize that everything is possible and and that thing wasn't meant for you. And I never want anything that's not meant for me.
0: It's like you're getting rid of the scarcity. Like this is the only chance I'll have and if not, it's 100%. like you just embrace no, their... I choose
1: to live in abundance. Love it. Live in abundance. There's endless opportunity. There's endless success for everyone. There's endless money for everybody. There's endless like love for everyone. When you choose to live in abundance, you never have that fear of scarcity because now when I see things like other people get things that maybe I would have wanted or were on my bucket list, I'm like, wow, that was like meant for them. Cool. That wasn't meant for me. Right. And you end up finding yourself happy for other people and happy for yourself when when things turn out for you because
0: you found what was for you. So it's cool. You are like, the biggest light
1: oh my gosh thank that's you what for... my name means it does? yeah is oh. light wow actually is light like, my middle name is Al-Huda which I was so embarrassed about I tried to get my parents to change it and now I love it because my middle name means guidance it's the light of guidance
0: wow well yeah you're living up to the name girl <laughs> thank you I love you you're the best thank you for being here of course that was Noor Tagouri. if you want to know more about her she got in early to Instagram so she's just at Noor how cool is that? And follow her on her next adventures as the interviewer for the Barneys podcast.